0: Global consumerism is a $40 trillion a year phenomenon, which makes it the largest, most predictable investment opportunity on the planet. Who are the prime beneficiaries of global consumption trends? Mega brands. Welcome to the Mega Brands Podcast series. I'm your host, Eric Clark. In this podcast, we explore mega trends through the lens of a global investor with the ultimate goal of identifying the most relevant, most innovative brands that are best positioned to become what I call mega brands. These are the brands that are customer obsessed, have a corporate culture of innovation and self disruption, create products and services that are in high demand, that exhibit strong brand love from customers, are serving a global opportunity, and appeal to multiple demographic groups. What's the reward for a company that meets these criteria? More revenue, more cash flow, higher market share, and the potential to reach the trillion dollar club. Please enjoy our next episode of Mega Brands. Eric Clark is the Portfolio Manager for the Rational Dynamic Brands Fund in conjunction with his partners at Acuvest Global Advisors. All opinions expressed by Eric and podcast guests are solely their own opinions and do not reflect the opinions of Acuvest Global Advisors or Rational Funds. This podcast is for informational purposes only and should not be relied upon as a basis for investment decisions. Clients of the Brands Fund or AccuVest may maintain positions in the securities discussed in this podcast. Welcome to the episode two of Mega Brands, everybody. Today's episode, we're going to talk about three things. One, the Brands Index Reconstitution Long way of saying we update our 200 universe of these great global brands every December. That is our investable universe. And it's also our way to track global consumption preferences uh, through a lot of the work that we do. Two, we'll talk about the current dynamic portfolio positioning and probably more importantly, how somebody might integrate a brand strategy into a portfolio, what percentage weights might make sense, et cetera. I get those questions all the time. So hopefully I'll just have this as a evergreen way of answering. And then three, let's talk about the top 30 brands for uh, brand relevance using the new 200 brands index. The first episode, we talked about the top 25 from the old brands index. There's been some changes. So let's, uh, let's talk about the brands index. It is a very systematic way of identifying the most important consumer industries where most of these brands live, and then assessing who's getting it done across you know important operating metrics like revenues and cash flows and operating efficiencies and ROEs and ROICs and all that kind of stuff. Basically, we're just trying to identify the 800-pound gorillas in each industry tied to consumption all the way down to the smallest market cap and and the, the brands that aren't getting it done. From there, we decide how much exposure we want to each one of these industries because we only have 200 stocks um, to, to, to pull from. So it certainly makes us identify the most important trends, the most important industries to focus on those trends. And then we get to decide how many names in each industry we want And the goal obviously is to have as few names in each category as possible to capture as most of the revenue in that industry. So for instance, home improvement retail, there's five names to choose from, but 90% of the revenues come from Home Depot and Lowe's. So we don't really need the other three. We just use Home Depot and Lowe's. Okay, so let's look at the new additions to the brands index. Some of these are B2B brands and some of these are what i call kind of consumption supply chain brands meaning they don't necessarily sell directly to consumers but the products and services they provide are really important to consumer companies who obviously are selling products and services directly to the consumer so Accenture being the one that i uh, that i love this is actually in our international bucket a big B2B brand that helps companies make better decisions from a global expansion. Align Technology is new, a global medical device brand that's changing lives one smile at a time, so you can infer some dental exposure there. Biogen is a new brand that goes into the biotech category. Now, as you recall, we don't try to decide what biotech brands are the most important because that's a very subjective, difficult thing to do. It's just an allocation that we have for the extension of life trend. And so we we're using our ranking system, we just rank everybody in the biotech category, and then we pick three of those names and BioChin made it in this year. Blackstone was added. Global alternative asset management firm serving in institutions and individuals. They have a bunch of mutual funds. It's a great financial services firm. They give you access to private equity and hedge funds. Carvana gets added. Very cool brand, tech-based online auto retailer that's built a heck of a mousetrap for buying and selling cars. Much more important than the painful process that we all go through the traditional way. CBRE Group, which is the largest commercial real estate services firm in the world. CyberArk, we wanted to add a cybersecurity brand, and we had access, obviously, to Palo Alto Networks and a few others. But uh, through our ranking system and screening, CyberArk really showed up and is an Israeli-based cybersecurity brand trusted by 50% of the Fortune 500. So that's one of the 20 international brands that we added uh, this year. Dell Technologies makes it in as a top B2B brand, serving global corporations and individuals through the Dell brand. DocuSign is a technology company that adds, that uh, helps individuals and companies digitize their vital documents and signing, which has been a monster stock. EOG. Uh, is an oil and gas, natural gas company. Again, this is a little bit like the biotech industry. We don't try to decide what brands are the most important in the energy category, even though Chevron and Exxon and a few others are really important. Uh, Using the ranking system, we just take a look at the independent oil producers category and rank it in EOG, replaced ConocoPhillips year over year. Essilor Luxotica. You may not know that name. It's a global leader in the design and manufacture and distribution of eye lenses, frames, and sunglasses. They own pretty much every important eyeglass brand around the world. So Oakley, Ray-Bans, Arnett, Oliver Peoples, Persol, Prada, many more. So it's an enormous company that's a uh, Luxottica that uh, merged with Essalor in France. And so they've added um, a lot of retailing for the eyewear category too. Fox, we have added. That's the top media brand for news and sports. Fresh Pet is a leading brand for healthy pet food. Hermes is a French high fashion brand. If you have some really bougie uh, family members or clients or friends, they know Hermes, uh, or Hermes. I'm not sure exactly how you're supposed to say it. I'm from Jersey, so please forgive me. Illumina is a top genomics technology and testing brand. We wanted to make sure we had enough exposure to this lifetime spending, disease prevention, and genomics revolution, and so Illumina is the 800-pound gorilla there. Intuitive Surgical, we also added, that's a leading robotic surgery brand for minimally invasive surgeries, goes with an aging society. JD.com is another top uh, Chinese e-commerce brand. We uh we just had Tencent and Alibaba last year. We added another Chinese name. Caring is a French luxury fashion house owning a lot of different mega brands like Gucci, Yves Saint-Laurent, Ribrioni, et cetera. So they own a lot of great fashion brands that are very popular in the US. Lending Tree, which is the largest online lending brand across banking insurance and credit cards. We uh, got a chance to add Levi's, the global blue jeans brand operating in 110 countries around the world, one of the first. Um, and uh, that one is even on sale as a stock currently. Lyft and Uber we added, obviously ride-sharing favorites in a duopoly. We added Match, the leading internet dating brand that owns Tinder and Match and a bunch of other emerging brands, NASDAQ which is a leading financial services firm, owner of the NASDAQ index, which is highly popular and gets us some more financial services and investing exposure. Next Terra is the largest renewable energy brand in the US. We wanted to add some renewables to the mix. OmniCell is an autonomous pharmacy brand focused on building the world's first zero-error fully automated customer medication management platform. Essentially, they're just automating the pharmaceutical ordering process which is again very important trend of automation and digitization serving the health sciences industry pinterest which is an online social media company focused on sharing images over text for education and e-commerce that's been pretty popular in a recent ipo service now goes it's a b2b brand on the cloud computing side Focused on automating workflows. So it's helping companies and employees be more productive. Slack, we owned, uh, or excuse me, we added. That's a cloud based instant messaging platform for small and large businesses. Again, kind of workflow related. Snap, the old Snapchat, we added as the leading social media and camera brand with the highest market share for teens. Stitch Fix, we added uh, an online personal styling service using a subscription-based model. So you can go online and fill out a profile and put in your information, and uh, they will match that with some fashion experts to send you periodic packages if you don't like to shop for clothes, as most men don't particularly, or you're very busy. It's a pretty interesting model that I think will gain steam over time in the retail sector, Teladoc is a leading telemedicine and virtual medical tech firm using AI and analytics to help reduce consumer healthcare costs. That's a big theme going forward. Thermo Fisher, similar to Illumina, a leading biotech brand in the genetic testing industry. Trade Desk is a leading digital advertising tech firm that's uh, helping all of these brands get better, add revenue and add generation through digital advertising. Taiwan Semiconductor, semis are that category as well as energy and biotech, where we just do the screening of all the semis and just take the top three, and Taiwan Semi was one of the three. Twilio is a cloud-based customer service technology brand. Tyson Foods made the list. It's the second largest processor of poultry, beef, and pork in the world. I said we talked about Uber and Viva, leading cloud-based brand providing global healthcare companies to manage their sales and operations, Uh, the trials for drug approvals. That's really important for the health sciences category. We added Volkswagen, which is a leading brand that owns Porsche, Audi, VW, Bentley, Lamborghini, Bugatti. I mean, they, they have more brand, iconic brands in the auto industry than any other brand in the world. We added Wells Fargo to beef up the financial services. Allocation. We added Winnebago, the leading motorhomes brand and owner of Chris Craft Boats for some leisure exposure. We added Yeti, which is a leading maker of high-end coolers, water bottles, and accessories. And we have six of those things in my house. Zoetis is a Pfizer spinoff and the largest maker of medications for the pet and livestock industry. We all know that we spend lots of money on our kids and on our pets, and it's pretty recession proof. So we wanted to get that exposure. I'm not going to go over the the companies that we took out of the index because they frankly don't matter anymore. They've lost relevancy or weren't as important as the names that we added. So just looking at the summary of the new brands index, it's about 45% traditional consumer brands with the rest lifetime spending categories and consumption supply chain brands, 13% in technology, 6.5% industrials, 11% healthcare, 8% financials. 34% consumer discretionary, 11% consumer staples, and about 11% in communication services. So, you know, this is a much more, a much better reflection of the economy with about 45% in consumer, you know, retail sales alone is 30% of GDP. So that's much, uh, that's a much better uh, kind of read through into a real consumer economy from a country perspective. Obviously, most of these are 90% are U.S. companies, even though many of them have a global footprint, but we get some exposure to Taiwan, Israel, Sweden, Japan, Italy, Ireland, Germany, France, China, Canada, Belgium, and Australia. Okay, let's move on to number two, the portfolio, the dynamic strategy, and most importantly, How might someone use an allocation that's dedicated to global consumer spending in a portfolio? I get that question literally every day. And just remember, most of your client's portfolio, if you're an advisor or your personal portfolio, if you are a do-it-yourselfer, is U.S. So we have a home bias. And most of the time, that's a great thing because the U.S. has done really well over long periods of time versus other international economies. Occasionally, the U.S. underperforms the international markets, whether it's developed or emerging markets. This global consumer spending theme is prevalent pretty much everywhere on the globe. So, number one, if you're going to invest and that investment is a proxy investment for the the global economy, you have to have a dedicated allocation to the largest component of global GDP, which is consumer spending. So what percentage you might want to do that in, it's certainly up to you. My rule of thumb is if retail sales is 30% of GDP, it's certainly not bad to have a 25 or 30% allocation to something that's dedicated to that theme, given how important it is here and abroad. That's completely up to you. Um, my experience is that most people's portfolio is chronically underweight consumer discretionary, consumer staples. I'm not really sure why, but that hasn't been a very good idea over the long period of time as consumer discretionary and staples have outperformed the S&P going all the way back to 1989. So I can tell you if you take a a really boring S&P 500 index and you just add some more exposure to the consumer If the economy is slowing, you can add some more to the staples bucket. Or if the economy is performing well, you can add exposure to the discretionary bucket. But it will likely enhance your total return more often than it doesn't. And that is why you might want to add this allocation. Let's look at the dynamic strategy uh, in particular currently We kind of break that thing out into three buckets if you will by mandate it's 25 to 50 stocks we like to stay right around the 35 ish area and within the three buckets that we use the core of that is you know roughly 75 percent of the total and that is what we consider to be kind of mega brands those are the industry leaders those market share takers highly recognizable brands in the country that you're in, serving really important consumption themes. So currently that's Alibaba, Sony, Lululemon, Spotify, Nintendo, Microsoft, Visa, Nike, Amazon, MasterCard, Apple, Costco, Starbucks, Disney, Google, Tencent in China, American Tower, a cell tower company that's global, Consumption Supply Chain brand, Blackstone, Estee Lauder, Ferrari, Facebook, Home Depot, Live Nation, PayPal, and Tesla. For the most part, that is a highly recognizable blue chip brand strategy. So even if the market is struggling, when somebody looks at this portfolio, with very few exceptions... They kind of know exactly what they own and why they own it. And that's the point of this exercise, not necessarily for the good times, but for difficult times when you're assessing whether you're going to get out or not. This is a portfolio that I think most people would say they're pretty comfortable riding through the storm and particularly adding to when things are down because they know exactly what it is they own. The next bucket or basket is the innovator and disruptor brands. Those are you know, the leading companies, the disruptors, that are part of kind of mega trends that, you know, may in some cases not be household names. In this basket currently, it's Illumina on the genomics revolution, intuitive surgical on the robotic surgery side. We have Shake Shack, which uh, did really well last year and then has been struggling lately. Roku on the streaming video and digital ad side. Mercado Libre, which is a Latin American e-commerce brand. Uh, Nvidia, which is a semiconductor a brand that's focused on video gaming and AI, RH, Restoration Hardware, Shopify, uh, rapidly becoming a mega brand, Square, and the Trade Desk on the digital ad side. And then we have the third bucket, which is tactical and opportunistic brands. Let's call them tactical trading opportunities. EA Sports is in there currently, Match, com is in there. eog resources and energy stock that's uh, performed really well over the last month and then twitter a couple of these brands particularly ea match and twitter easily could be in the disruptor category with the opportunity to be a mega brand in fact i think twitter is of the 200 brands twitter is probably the brand that has the most amount of value and is most disconnected from the current market cap The CEO, Jack Dorsey, just really needs to have a dedicated CEO. To me, it's more of a vanity brand for him, and it needs to be standalone with somebody that's really driving innovation. If you look at the current allocation between U.S. and international, we are about 35% international now with about uh, 11 or so percent in emerging markets. I really believe that at least next year and maybe as a new trend for a couple of years, the international markets might outperform the domestic market. And, and that's a big problem for most U.S. investors, again, because most of their portfolio has a home bias and that rarely changes. So the average investor probably only has 10 to 15 percent non-U.S., If international markets outperform domestic, that means most of your portfolio will likely underperform your expectations. So I would certainly urge you to take a look at some other international options. Obviously, the the dynamic strategy is terrific because you're turning over the analysis to us, and sometimes the dynamic strategy is going to be mostly U.S. names and brands, and sometimes it could be heavily international, which I think is what you want. You want that flexibility between domestic, international, large versus small, value versus growth. We have it all. Right now, we are mostly growth-oriented because that's uh, been what uh, has been working the best. We are mostly large-cap focused, and we are mostly um US but we have the biggest allocation to international that we've ever been since running the strategy since 2015. Okay, let's talk about the most important thing, the brand relevancy scoring system for the new brands index names. We uh we talked last episode about the system, just as a quick reminder, it is 50% quantitative 50 percent qualitative so we rank each company in the index based on about 45 different factors and then we come up with a composite score that tells us who's really getting it done all the way down to who's not getting it done within the 200 index so the top 30 companies using this mega brand screening system that includes you know brands leading in industry Brands that have reached aspirational status, uh brands selling products and services that offer real value to customers, um, making their lives better, brands with high brand evangelism and that evidence, brands that are showing evidence of a culture of innovation, that are that have products that are category killers, that are in the brands and interbrands um top brands indexes, serving enormous. Global end markets that are appealing to multiple demographics, which obviously translates into broader revenue opportunities. That are in things like the Glassdoor best places to work lists, the Fortune's most admired companies, and then a lot of the typical quantitative screens. You know, you're a good grower, you're a good value stock, you're a good dividend grower, et cetera, et cetera. You've you've had a history of beating the S and P, so. The top 30 using that methodology is Tesla, Costco, Facebook, Amazon, Match Group, Apple, Microsoft, Starbucks, Adobe, Google, Nike, Lululemon, Alibaba, Adidas, L'Oreal, LVMH, Etsy, Walmart, Hermes, Uber, JD, Live Nation, Coca-Cola, PayPal, Netflix, Shopify, MasterCard, Square, Estee Lauder, and Nintendo. Okay, most importantly, if you were smart enough to have this system that had that output, and you listened to that output for those 30 names January 1st, 2017, you held on to those 30 names equal weighted for the whole year of 2017, and then you just rebalanced it back to equal weighted, and did the same thing, kept that same portfolio, what would you have done versus the S&P? 161% total return or 38% annualized return versus 49% for the S&P or 14.5% annualized return. So, you know, the numbers really aren't as important as the, the trend of these companies that rank high in many of these really important factors are probably really good companies which makes them probably pretty good stocks that's all this analysis is is trying to do and so we use that system to help us with our stock picking and uh, you know if you look at the dynamic strategy currently of those 30 names the only ones that aren't in the dynamic strategy right now are adobe we did own Adobe at one time. Uh, we had a nice gain, and we have since sold it. Um, but when you look at the others, we have L'Oreal. We've owned it one time. LVMH, we sold recently. Etsy, Walmart, Hermes, Uber, JD, Coca-Cola, Netflix. We used to own, and that's it. So we own a lot of these names, but you know, the benefit of this system is it allows me to take a look and see, okay, these are companies that are really scoring well. Um, and I now have access to them. So now I get a chance to do some more fundamental work and technical work. The last thing I want to discuss for, for today's podcast is we use the screening. The brand relevancy scoring system in two ways, mostly. One, for this mega brands theme, where we take a subsegment of the 45 or so factors with scores associated to them, and then we find out who's scoring the best there for some good opportunities to do some more research. But we also want to know across all of the 45 or so factors, each one of those factors having its own score, who is just Uh, ranking at the top of there, because sometimes there's a little bit of difference. And so I just looked at the top 30 scores from the 200, just using the aggregate of all of the, the factors, not just the sub segment for the mega brand screen. And the order certainly has changed. It's now Amazon, Costco, Lulu, Match, Google, Tesla, Facebook, Apple, Netflix, Microsoft, Snap, Starbucks, Etsy, Nike, Adobe, Disney, Alibaba, Spotify, Uber, Intuit, LVMH, Square, PayPal, McDonald's, Booking Holdings, Adidas, JD, Mastercard, Visa, and then J.P. Morgan Chase. So many of the same names because they obviously show up for a variety of of good reasons from a quantitative and a qualitative perspective. But uh, this. 30 stocks equal weighted starting the same January 1st, 2017, rebalanced at the end of every year up until uh, yesterday, December 18th, uh, 2019, is up about 143% versus the, the 49%. So a little bit less good than the mega brand screen, but we're splitting hairs because it's been a wonderful 30 stocks to have used. Now, obviously, nobody knows. What's going to happen in the future? These could be dreadful performers going forward. I have no idea, but at least it gives me a great idea of which companies are scoring well in subjective qualitative metrics, as well as who's getting it done across important quantitative metrics that we all look like to analyze. So that's it, everybody, for the episode two of the Mega Brands podcast. Just a reminder, you can get information about all of the things that we do on the website, globalbrandsmatter.com. And after the holidays, we will do episode number three, where we're going to talk about our outlook for 2020, as well as some stocks that we think have been kind of left for dead that offer some really significant opportunities. Because I know in the dynamic strategy, I've started to really lighten up and even underweight relative to the index. A lot of the most crowded trades, the most popular ones that have worked for the last couple of years, in favor of maybe looking for some brands that have already had decent pullbacks. The expectations have been reset lower and might have a lot more opportunity for bigger gains in 2020. Thanks for listening to Mega Brands, everybody. I'm your host, Eric Clark. For more information on this podcast and to learn more about the brand relevancy scoring system we use, be sure to check out the website at globalbrandsmatter.com. While you're there, make sure to sign up for the market newsletter and check out my latest thoughts on our favorite portfolio brands in the Dynamic Brands section. If you have any questions or want to learn more about the Dynamic Brands approach, send me a message on the contact tab. Thanks again for listening, everybody. Have a great day.